Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Football for 90 podcast. Uh, it's been a while since I've hosted, but Alex and Aaron have uh, allowed me to host again. Uh, so I'm joined once again by Alex Collings. How are you, bro? How are you, Mikey? Not bad, not bad. Glad to be uh, glad to be hosting an episode for for the first time in a yeah, little bit. And what about you, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, you stole stole the reins from me, and then Aaron decided next <laughs> week. So I was like, okay, I guess this week, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take them back for a little bit. But Aaron, what about you? How have you been? Yeah, pretty good, pretty tired. Um, love the Premier League, so this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so as Aaron mentioned, we're going to be talking about some Premier League-related teams today. We're actually going to be discussing the uh, the relegation battle going on. This past weekend was some international football, so uh, we decided maybe cover some of the kind of storylines and potential kind of um, you know, uh, results that could happen around the bottom of the table and see who's safe, who might be staying. And, and it's actually a lot more interesting, I think, this season because of, um, you know, again, some games being postponed due to COVID or whatever. So it's not just like an even fixture list um, across the bottom of the table and how many games each team's played. Um, so I guess the best way to start is like an overview of the bottom of the table. We have Norwich... Um, you know, played 29 games, they're 20th at the table with 17 points. Burnley's 19th um, with 27 games and 21 points. Uh, we have uh, Watford at 18, not 29 games, 22 points. Everton, 17, 27 games and 25 points. And then Leeds, 16, 30 games and 29 points. So I guess uh, we can start from bottom up uh, and discuss Norwich. You know, they always seem to be a club that's uh, in this conversation the past couple of years, every time they've been in the Premier League. Um, Aaron, why do you think that is? Why do you think that Norwich um, have been kind of involved in this relegation battle both times that they've been in the Premier League most recently? Uh, it's because Billy Gilmore is terrible. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like Billy Gilmore, just being mean. Um, no, I mean, I think they... I, they recently went with Dean Smith, but um, in the past with, with Daniel Fark, they've kind of aimed to play a style that is suited more to dominating the championship or, or dominating games in general. Um, and in the Premier League, they're not able to do that, and that means that a lot of cracks show in their game. Um, I don't think they do enough um, sort of... It's not like a Bielsa situation where they get blown out sometimes, but against the teams around their level they tend to perform really well so then they get enough points um but it tends to be more of like uh they just kind of don't have superior quality to the teams around them and that leads to them struggling and um i think it it means that if they go down again now they're gonna have to look at how they're recruiting players and uh, and see what they can change to make it different the next time because they'll probably be right back up again yeah no i i don't disagree i mean like uh, I, I think for sure the discussion point is always, you know, with newly promoted teams that they have to play almost anti-football to, to survive. Um, and, and the hope is that you survive long enough to be able to then um, earn enough money to, to build up your team and then try to actually like build towards the philosophy you do care to play. And, you know, kudos to them, I guess, for not wavering from that philosophy if they, if they you know, that is how they wanted to, to pursue it. Um, but like in terms of their performance and stuff, like it's, you know, the, the, I think they have the least goals scored in the league. They have the second most goals conceded. They've scored 18, conceded 63. Um, and, and, you know, to make matters worse, like it's their, you know, XG and XGA and expected points, they're, they're very much expected to be last. It's not like a surprise that they're here. They, you know, they have the worst in the league for both of those. Um, so, yeah, and Alex, I don't know about you if you have any kind of like additional points to add with at least even squad members or things like that with Norwich, things that kind of stand out to you. 
Um, no, I guess it's just where do they go forward from here is sort of a thing because, I mean, they're going to go back. It'll be interesting this time, right? They've dropped Fark. Um, they didn't get in Knuts and who they wanted to. Um, and they instead went like a different route stylistically with Dean Smith, who I don't really rate um, at all. So, but he's he's different to what they've had before, and that that was obviously some sort of concession towards trying to ground out results. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens when they go back to to the championship. And yeah, is it going to be the same, or they're going to try maybe next time they come up? Because I think they have good championship quality when they go down, right? Um, obviously interesting to see what happens with those players. But yeah, when they get up, are they going to try kind of copy what Brentford have been doing, what Brentford did last year? In the championship, they were blowing teams away with attacking football. Um, this year, they're very much focused on being compact, and it's it's worked well for them, I think. Um, obviously, we'll get onto talking them about them, but yeah, I think that's sort of maybe something Norwich has to look for. Is on one hand, I really like the football they try play, and I like I like Stuart Weber, I like his recruitment policy, I like how he how he goes about things, but I think something does need to change to avoid just becoming first in the championship lost in the premier league first in the championship lost in the premier league sort of thing yeah no i definitely agree and as you mentioned you know dean smith took over from farkel in like november and he's you know it's a hope to grind out results which clearly hasn't happened too well considering they have i think the win percentage is something like 12 and a half percent but yeah anyways i mean i think we all expect norwich to then you know like very clearly like they're down it's you know there's just no denying it at this point so i i want to move on then to uh to, to, to Burnley and talk about them. They're definitely an interesting um, talking point in the in, in regards to the fact that obviously the takeover happened for the new ownership um, last year. Ideally, they would try to, you know, want to stay up. That was, I remember that was a big um, point of conversation uh, last season because it was, what if they bought them and they end up going down, you know, that same season. They ended up surviving. Um, and you would have thought maybe with like the recruitment they've had or whatever that, um, or, or I guess like the new ownership would have placed the, Heavy, heavy emphasis on um, staying in the league, but you know they find themselves in the midst of um, a relegation battle. And funny enough, I think they've probably avoided one for years when people thought they would have been most likely to have had a relegation battle like earlier. Um, but yeah, um, Alex, I don't know if you have additional kind of uh, thoughts because I know they got one of your um, you know favorite players as well uh, at <laughs> Burnley in uh, Maxwell Cornet. So uh, if you want to touch on them a little bit and, and what your thoughts on Burnley have been so far this season. Um, I really hope they stay up. I think I think quality, they have a bad quality squad compared to the rest, except for they've got some good attackers. And I think they'll probably build on that. Um, they're in a position that if they survive this summer, they might actually be able to, to bring in some good reinforcements going forwards. Um, so yeah, I kind of hope they stay up. They bring something different to the league. I really like Dijk, um, as much as it's frustrating to play against him. Um but yeah, I mean, actually, it hasn't really dawned on me until we were actually talking before and preparing for this that they're actually looking very, very likely to go down. They've still got three games in hand, but it's, yeah, it's difficult. But I mean, with Verhorst and Corne, McNeil, they've got some good players that can make a difference. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what sort of games they grind out results. From. What's their fixture list as well? Yeah, like, I know they have 27 games, but is it... Uh... There, is it likely that they're uh, having a t- tough competition? Aaron, I know you were talking about some of the guys they had. Yeah, um, it's not that face, bad. Right? I mean, they've got Norwich, Watford, and Everton uh, from the bottom. Okay. Aston Villa twice, and then 
um, Newcastle. So a lot of teams that are either fighting with them for relegation or teams that might check out because they've secured safety um, with games to spare but aren't contenders to make Europe. Also, it always um, feels like they, they, they've got two games. big six games. It always feels like those are games they're just going to grind out. Like, if I had to do, like, a predicted thing, I'd be like, yeah, that's a 1-0 to Burnley. That's a 1-0 yeah, to Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they actually yeah. haven't had that this season. They've been blown away a couple times. Not not 6 nils, but they've had, like, games where they've been 2 nil, 3 nil down without having much... Um, it's because they yeah. lost all well, Chrissy Wood. I mean, this is kind <laughs> of a team that... So, like, I feel like this is probably the most pro Burnley podcast that you'll hear because we all tend to really appreciate Sean Dyche but I I I just feel like they they've been punching above their weight for years in terms of the wage bill and the their expenditure uh compared to their finish in the league um even making Europe sometimes with probably a relegation level squad which is just unbelievable but um yeah I mean they they kind of I think are victim to like stereotypes of based on certain elements of how they play um, I, I don't think, I, I think the problem is this season, either there's been a bit of burnout, there's been some player availability issues, and in the first half of the season, they just didn't deliver the way they have in the last few years, and then they had a big COVID outbreak. So now they're in a situation where they're quite a few points behind, uh, but they have a lot of games in hand over teams like Watford, Norwich, um, Leeds, and Brentford. So... It's it's interesting to see, but I I personally would like them to stay up, and if they do stay up, um, it'll be another season of the same thing next season. So, yeah, I mean to be fair towards the, where they are in position of the league, like defensively they've done pretty well as you would expect. They have like, like the a, eighth best defense in the league. Yeah, exactly. Um, they've only conceded I think it's thirty eight, and, and and actually I think they've I think they've overperformed a little bit in defense, like relative to their uh, xga and their xg shows them underperforming a bit in their finishing, which I think is canceled. They cancel each other out, well, and and I think expected points has them around nineteen anyway. Nick Pope is always a big um, yeah, is yeah, always yeah, a big yeah. shot stopper, and he tends to perform well in in the xg. And I think what happens is they face quite a few shots relative to some other teams, and. Um, I think they're good at limiting the quality of shots they face. Um, so what ends up happening is you just get Pope accumulating a lot of saves. Plus, he's a good shot stopper. Um, so, yeah, they tend to... I, I do think they probably tend to overperform expected goals against. That could be wrong, but... Yeah, I can't lie, though. I, I You know, seeing Burnley go down purely from the, uh, I guess, like, storyline of, like, being bought out by some, you know, American ownership that... Uh, has the traditional mindset of we'll come in and do this better and then getting relegated prior to the season after. I mean, don't get me wrong. I remember listening to like some podcasts discussing about like the ownership had discussed like an analysis already about like that expect or not expectation, but like that scenario analysis of whether they go down and but like going down no matter what is a tough thing to do, whether they've already accounted for it or not is what I'm trying to say. The thing, the thing is, I'm not sure that they've, they've done badly since coming in. I think, I think they bought a club no, me neither, with, me neither. with problems. I mean, I don't think I think they've done well. I think their recruitment's actually been pretty good, um, especially yeah. looking outside. Vejos was a great deal. They upgraded actually um, when they well, got him. When you look at it, right? Where do Burnley really rank on the like financial table? Eighteenth, nineteenth. So for them to finish eighteenth or nineteenth is expectation. It's not. Yeah. Like, people need to stop looking at this. Like, if they get relegated, it's a huge, like, underperformance. I mean, the fact that they've stayed up for five or six years is massive overperformance. So what you're saying is it's inevitable for Newcastle to win the league because of the financial table. 
yeah Sadly, probably yeah. i mean yeah that's uh, that's exactly point. why <laughs> at some point yeah, yeah. Mikey Sorry, where is watching. Chelsea? Where is Chelsea? We'll see. We'll hey, I don't see. know. There's there's discussion about this new ownership. I, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyways, I want to move on anyway to uh, to Watford, who again, um, another kind of, I guess, a championship team that comes up and and seems to not be able to survive. Uh, they're 18th, as we said, 29 games played, 22 points. Um, they yeah, have, obviously have not been uh, great. They maybe could be a a couple spots uh, higher, I think, um, uh, based on what their XG is, um, or sorry, XGA is. They've conceded, I want to say, uh, six more goals than than expected, and it's the third worst underperformance like in the league. So I guess when you take that into account, you could say that they maybe been a little bit unlucky. Um, but regardless, you know, I think it's a tough spot. It's not like um, you know Burnley, like we talked about, twenty seven games, and Everton, who we're going to talk about next, who have twenty seven games and and those low twenty or mid twenty points, they have twenty nine. So it's only um, one behind a team like Leeds. Um, I don't know. My expectations are, you know, and was in the beginning of the season that Norwich and Watford were to go down, and that seems um, about right. They've scored a solid amount of goals, though. I don't know. Um, Aaron, what have you made about their, their play from what you've seen about them? Well, it's hard to say because they've had as many managers as Burnley have had wins. So yeah. um, there's your stat for the day. But, yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like a mix of things. I think the attacking record, like early on, especially under under Cisco, they were a much better attacking team than defensive, and that's perhaps where that comes from. Um, I think Ranieri kind of got fed up after a little bit and – then now they're now they have Roy Hodgson, which is the approach of uh, keep us up the old way at any cost. And I yeah. mean, I think in Crystal Palace's performance this season, we've kind of seen that the sort of approach of old, where teams just don't really like. I mean, the these guys like Hogson, Allardyce, they've all started to get relegated over time, and I think it shows a couple things. One is that you can't turn around a squad that's been poorly constructed um in the long run you can't keep like keeping them up like burnley squad is not uh wealthy but it's constructed to play the way they do and that helps a big amount and the other thing i think you're realizing is that these managers of old who don't um who don't do enough to kind of control the flow of games and instead just try to limit the amount of chances and the quality of chances that the opposition try to create if you give a team in the premier league 90 minutes to create against you the level of coaching is so high now that most teams are going to score from that. So, but like, I want to talk about that because because it, it goes back to the manager point, and I think that is really the key here to talk about with Watford. I mean, I remember looking up like since their original promotion in twenty fourteen fifteen, they've had twelve managers, I think it was, in the last seven years. Um, and so, like, you know, it seems like it has. You know, they got promoted again, obviously. So it's it seems like it's not like a you know a losing philosophy but i like is is it sustainable i mean i don't think you only you see too many teams doing this kind of manager turnover who who remain successful you know apart from financially very um powerful ones what do you think like what do you think the kind of approach for watford should be like do you think a club in this kind of position then should be looking to instill a philosophy with a little more kind of um uh i guess uh patience around around the manager that they appoint well, I mean, at risk of oversimplifying, it's almost like a low-end Premier League, uh, almost like Chelsea, where they just have loads and loads of players and then cycle through managers and give the managers the set of players and go, 
pick the ones you like and try and make a team that works. Yeah. Right. And I think slowly Chelsea were beginning to realize that that strategy isn't competing with Liverpool and City anymore. The strategy of having a long-term plan that builds a squad to play in a particular style over a long period of time um, with with high-end recruitment um, and undervalued recruitment. Um, and I think you just have, like, every so often Watford have a player, like this season it's Emmanuel Dennis, who can, who can overperform and... and beyond the odds he can sort of carry them through and have them in this fight but long term i i do just feel like especially when you're in the financial bracket of the teams that are that are in the relegation zone and like perhaps in the lower half of the table you need to have a concrete strategy to to really have a hope of staying up even if that strategy is burnley ball it's still a strategy that wins games in the modern day and that's what you need to stay up and until they have that and start recruiting for it um i don't think they're i, I think they're going to struggle to stay in the premier league and mm. every premier league season of watford again they'll probably get promoted again is is going to be something like this no i definitely agree I, I i i don't know alex i don't know if you have any kind of thoughts but the way i see it is like that if it, it's it's quite difficult if you don't have um you know the good players to kind of carry you through um things that having a more robust or instilled system allows you to rely on a way of playing a little bit better too. I mean, I'm, we're saying that in Nor- Norwich, like we were talking about, tries to play their style and, and aren't really well suited to survive. But just generally speaking, when your club has a philosophy, I think it's a little bit easier to um, rely on that ingrained philosophy to then um, perform, uh, I guess, uh, to expectation a little bit more. And I think that turnover is definitely not helping. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have kind of um, additional thoughts on that, Alex? Uh, no, I just think from an ownership level, the positive family, um, I just think it's Watford's been a mess always. And I think part of why they do well is they seem to have really good recruitment, yeah. really far-reaching recruitment. It means they get in lots of good players. Um, but So credit to them f- for their recruitment. But I think from a... Yeah, just from an executive level of where they go with the club, there is no vision. I mean, Ranieri was a bad hire... Hodgson was a bad hire. Hodgson was retired. Like, there's not really a, mm. a thought process or, or proper sort of, yeah, support for the manager going forward. So I think it's going to be, that's going to be, that's the main issue. And it's going to be that for as long as possible. I don't even think that the executive needs to define, like, this is what we want. This is the Watford way of playing. They just need to actually stick with the manager and support him. And then maybe right. he can actually define that club style. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think that's going to wrap it up for our first part. Uh, in the next part, obviously, we'll be talking about uh, the next few teams higher up on the table. Um, thanks so much. Please be sure to join us um, as we look to discuss Everton, Leeds, and maybe maybe discuss a bit of Brentford as well. Yeah, thanks. Have a good one, guys. Welcome back to part two of our relegation battle discussion. Uh, We're going to be starting now uh, with Everton, who I guess are definitely pretty interesting to be in this position uh, as a discussion point, especially relative to their performances uh, last season. Um, But obviously a lot's changed since then. So once again, they're 17th with 27 games and 25 points. Um, Everton definitely been poor for their standards as a team, um, you know, for, for their squad. The club just seems 
generally a little dysfunctional. I guess it's been coming. Um, some parts of it for sure have been have been seen in the way they've been um, appointing managers and stuff like that. I think Ancelotti was like a the first appointment where people were like, oh wow, like this is a a, a step up in terms of um, one of their 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 managers and the recruitment seemed to suit him. They seemed to like cater to him a little bit. Obviously, the whole story with Real Madrid then coming in um, changed everything, and then they it seems like they took a couple steps backwards with their appointment then of Rafa and all that. I don't know. Uh, it's just been a little kind of confusing, I guess, to follow. And I feel like Everton fans probably um, would feel the same way in terms of the direction um, of the club. I know, Aaron, you probably have some kind of a, a, additional opinions on this. So I want to hear um, in terms of their possibility of going down, what, what you think um, the implications of that might be. Yeah, I mean, Everton have to be at the forefront of the conversation of worst-run teams in the Premier League. Like, the recruitment of both players and managers in the last half decade has just been horrible. Like, they've spent so much money that you could even argue they should probably be, like, the seventh member of the... Like, they should be the best team outside the big six, if not, like, second or third. Um or even challenging the big six. Uh, just And then this season, I think they went to Rafa Benitez after Ancelotti walked. And it just seems like, again, a conversation of a manager who's a little bit outdated. Um, and then combine that with the fact that he annoyed everyone. Like, sold famously sold Luca Dean, which is one of Everton's best players, yes. uh, a couple days <laughs> before getting sacked. Um, because he had fallen out with Dina. And... Just moves like that that now have put Everton in this weird position where they need to actually win games to stay up. They're normally not this low in the table, despite their um, dysfunction. And it looks like if they don't, they could be plunged into a whole lot of debt and a massive fire sale. Yeah, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, obviously, you know, they've had their injury concerns and stuff like that. Like, I think, like, their top players and stuff, guys like Richarlison and guys like DCL and stuff haven't been... Well, DCL was injured uh, for quite a bit. I think he's just been back recently. And, uh, you know, Richarlison doesn't doesn't seem to be performing at the same level as he he was, like, in terms of... He played, like, all the summer, I believe it was, like, in both the 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 um which called the the international tournaments um and then and then the what what was it it was the uh olympics as olympics. well right he played he part partook in the olympics as well um you know but i i think you're right that i think there is greater themes at play like part of it could be that like they didn't really provide cover for for some of their best players um and the depth that might be um needed you know and um alex i i want to kind of touch on some of their um you know specific recruitment stuff uh, with you. What do you what do you make of Everton's squad and the kind of money they've spent on some of these players? Um, do you kind of agree that it's in line that because the way I see it is that they have been purchasing expensive players that either um, probably like a little overvalued for for what at least now post fact for for what they've probably provided to the club. You know, uh, in hindsight. Meaning, you know, their recruitment probably didn't do a good job um, in scouting, like, the real talent. Or they've bought, like, guys in recent in recent years that may be a little bit older and stuff on the tail end of their careers for a good amount of money that kind of, like, didn't really um, help them plan as much for the future. I don't know if you have any kind of, like, additional thoughts on things like that. Yeah, I think I think Aaron was even being a bit kind to Everton with saying that they should definitely be outside the the top you know, they should be the seventh best side because they really should be challenging on what on what on, on the basis of what they've spent right 
and they also hand out big contracts. Yeah. Um, so it's it's not even a sort of a spend high but low contract sort of thing. They 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 give pretty good contracts out. Um, so they should definitely be trying to you know force their way in. I don't think there's much of a disparity between their average spending, including wages, between themselves and Spurs, for example, who have been the poorest of the top six mm. for the past half decade. Um, yeah, and then I think just the other issue is that they haven't they've they've overpaid for lots of good but not great players. They've and they've not done good squad building. I just think it's been a it's been a big mess. I think. There are a lot of financial stuff. To, there's a lot of financial stuff to consider, but I think actually a relegation would kind of actually do the club a good reset. That I think they kind of need. Um, to be to be perfectly honest, that's the way I view it. They don't even have it. There's not a good pathway from the youth players. They they produce good youth players too. But there's not a good pathway from the youth into the senior team. I mean, besides what Anthony Gordon, who else has there really been in recent years, right? I think you've got. I think well. I, I mean I don't disagree that I think uh, okay a, okay a relegation could provide a reset, but it's a big cripple for the position Everton have been in and the money they've. No, like, it's for get, sure. For get sure. this but, right. Here, these are Everton's purchases. I I have it in USD because it transfer marked. But here are their purchases over twenty million USD in the last five years. You can you can have this list: Vitali Mikolenko, Ben Godfrey, Allen. Abdoulaye Dekure, those are probably now the, the four with like some of the highest reputations. Here are the rest. Alex Awobi, Moise Keane, Andre Gomez, uh, Jean-Philippe Bamen, Richarlison. Okay, Richarlison's also good. Um, Yeri Mina, Luca Dean, Gilfie Sigurdsson, Michael Keane, Pickford, Davy Klassen, Theo Walcott, Sank Tosin. Yannick Balassi, Morgan Schneiderlin. Yeah, and a lot That's of these the guys list. went for around thirty million as well. You know, they're like, all twenty. They're all above twenty million. And how many of them were regular contributors for Everton? Like, yeah, I would say five or six. And one of those is Sigurdsson, who was over fifty million. And wasn't he like um, twenty nine when they bought him as well? I I I I think the point is this is not just like bad recruitment. This is almost one hundred percent miss rate on big signings over half a decade yeah. like that does think, not happen very often i think it was the, the last season loss I, I read yesterday was 120.9 million and their total losses over the past three years has been 372.6 million it's that literally no other cl- premier League club has lost more in, in that period like everton's clearly something in terms of their finances is and their recruitment and their return on investment is just not not going right, and I think that's further exacerbated then by like the or or I guess they play into each other, right? Like as a result of the incompetency, the manager appointments can be a little bit confusing um, and and lack direction, and as a result of a lack of direction and confusing a manager appointment with an again um, ambiguous operations, that makes it even more difficult for a manager to come in and do a good job. So that kind of leads me to the Frank Lampard point, right? Like, was he the right man for 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 Everton to a point? I don't. I I personally, you know, being a Chelsea man, I don't really think so. I think it was he Lampard. I think it was dumb, firstly, of Lampard himself to take the job. Like he said, he was waiting around for the right job, and I guess in the sense of a club giving you money, like yeah, relative to like a club like Norwich, if he took over, 
sure. But, like, I don't know if Everton was the right job in the sense of particularly this season, the position they were in. He's fighting a relegation battle. The club itself clearly doesn't really understand what it's doing, and he felt like this was the right opportunity for him to come in. I can, I see, it. I can see it from his perspective, you know. First of all, the, Ever- the Everton has a very clear historic style of play that they want, which they haven't had for many years, but they always want to get back to it. And that's the same sort of football that that Lampard plays. So I think he would be an appeal. It's appealing to try to bring that kind of style back to, to a big club. Like, let's make no mistake. They probably are the seventh biggest club in the league. Um, maybe eighth. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I can kind of understand it. And also, you've, kind of, you've got to back yourself. You know what I mean? I don't think when he took over, it was they're definitely going to get relegated either. And there's still good players to make use of, I think. You know, I understand it from Lampard's perspective why he took the job. I don't really understand it why Everton under- offered him the job because I don't think he's good enough to, to get the job. But I do see yeah. it from, from the manager, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. I guess uh, just in my perspective, it's like, um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess maybe there's a... a and, and fair enough, right? Like, Lampard's obviously going to always back himself, right? Like, I think I remember, like, watching interviews as well, like, post-games after all the losses. Like you were talking about, right? Like, they weren't in... Since Lampard's come in, it's not like the position's gotten too much better. Um, and, you know, they were asking, you still think you can do it to, like, stay up? He goes, oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying that they're for sure done. I mean, particularly because of the games they have in hand, the squad they have and stuff. Like, surely the quality itself should take over at some point, which avoids them from going down. Yeah, I just think... The games hard, though. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> well, me- media yeah, comments true. are media comments, right? So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put too much uh, stock into that. And I also think, like... I have no issues with Lampard backing himself to do well no, in the job that he was hired yeah. for. But I think where maybe perhaps it's it's more important is that I feel like he's sort of fast-tracked his way as manager because of his connections to the Premier League. And I do think he has some interesting sort of ideas. I think his style is quite fun, but I don't think fun is necessarily good. And um, in particular, his teams tend to hemorrhage goals in a way that you just can't if you want to stay in the Premier League. Um, So I feel like they should have gone with someone who perhaps had more experience building or surviving relegation, but maybe perhaps someone more modern. Like I would have, I personally think Chris Wilder would have been an amazing appointment and he ended up at Middlesbrough, which is ridiculous to me that Wilder ended up at Middlesbrough and Lampard ended up in the Premier League. Um, But yeah, I mean, now they've made their choice, and if Lampard does keep them up, they could be a fun team to watch next season if they re- if they start recruiting properly. But it's it's interesting to see how far this Everton thing they has to go before they start though. to get it together. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is I, why. Like, even like, if I mean, they stay up, I wonder. I wonder if the surely money... eventually they they turn it around. It's just a matter of when that sort of bell sounds that right, they have yeah, to true. before long term damage starts to happen to the club. Right. So yeah. Well, I think I, with yeah. that that we can move on to. Sorry, I, I think I was just gonna say I think with that we can move on a little bit to Leeds because you know they have that Leeds has definitely been an interesting uh, club I think from the beginning as well from from the time Bielsa was like first appointed I think a lot more spotlight has been um, on the club essentially so so obviously you know this season they've uh, kind of crumbled a bit um, you know they're sixteenth uh, it, it it feels almost like the traditional way a Bielsa um, tenure ends where the, where I think the style, like sustainability of it maybe starts to run out of gas a little bit. Um, they have 30 games played, so they have the most actually, like I think in the 
um, in the table, um, or, or joint most at least, with 29 points and they're 16th. Um, and that's kind of really what puts them in, in this position, right? Because they're 16th, sure, and with 29 points, but they have a few more games played than the guys below them. Um, and recently they've appointed uh, Jesse Marsh um, to take over after... Um, um, after after Bielsa's um, been gone, so I, I don't know. What are your guys' thoughts so far on Leeds? Um, Alex, you can kind of touch on this uh, and discuss, I guess, like a little bit on that. So yeah, I think they're gonna stay up. That's my my hot take. Well, my boldest take. I'll put. Ah, okay. I think they're gonna stand up. I really like how they've looked on Jenny, Jesse Marsh. I think results will come. I also feel that there's a sense of like you know that new ma- manager bounces often. Like what what you talk about just. XG returning to the mean, but they also does feel like a real refreshment in the squad that I think there was a kind of change that was kind of needed change in ideas. And I, I think, yeah, I think there are also, I know another one of my harder takes is that I do think the squad is better. People often speak about it being a championship squad, which many parts of it are, but I also think they have some really good talent in that squad, especially guys like Rafinha, who I would say is the best player that isn't in the top six. Um, I mean, I think he'd be, yeah, you know, what, for Arsenal, he's probably our first or second best player. So I, I rate him very highly. I think those are sort of players who can make a big difference. Um, Obviously, they've also got Calvin Phillips. They've got Bamford coming back. I think they're going to stay up in, in the end. And I think, yeah, their fixtures aren't too tough in the end, are they, Aaron? They're running. It's not too bad. Um, They have... I think I have it here. They have Southampton, Watford... Um, the Chelsea game, uh, which is postponed, uh, but then Crystal Palace, Man City, Arsenal, uh, Brighton, and Brentford, uh, which could also be interesting depending on Brentford's so they've, position. They've got quite an interesting um, run fighting. in. They've got quite an interesting run in. Then. Yeah. They've got a bit of everything. Yeah, I think I think Bielsa did a great job to get them to 10th last season, sure. but again, sure. this is another case of recruitment undoing them a little bit. Like, they needed to have striker cover for if Bamford got injured, and they signed Rodrigo for over thirty million, who's yeah. been playing central midfield. Um, they've signed a, a, a couple of center backs who have been all right, but haven't really um, haven't really put two two roots in the ground in terms of getting leads to. I mean, having good center backs can often be, be a huge difference maker for teams at the bottom because they end up defending the most difficult situations, especially when your coach is Bielsa and the defensive style is all or nothing extremely like yeah yeah so i mean pretty much the only signing they've made that's uh, for for a big amount of money that's un, like indisputably worked has been rafinha i mean they spent over 30 million on dan james who i mean i like dan james as a united fan but i i would never have sanctioned 30 million on dan james so i'm going to i'm going to make the point that a lot of this is from reports is that a lot of this is also because of Bielsa. He doesn't want, he wants certain yeah. plays. So, yeah. I mean, I think it's you a little bit I mean? of his own undoing. But yeah, I just, yeah. so first of all, so I do think the Marsh appointment is good. I think it's a risk when uh, sort of the big point of conversation has been, when is a good time to go from a man-marking system out of possession to a zonal marking system out of possession in an attempt to fix a defense? Because in theory, in the long term, the biggest criticism of Bielsa was the man-oriented approach out of possession. Um, but changing it with, 15 games left in a season when you have a relegation battle is a, is a really, really gutsy move, right? So I feel like it's just a matter of 
Uh, I do think Marsh is the type of appointment where I would have looked to see a club like Everton show that kind of ambition. But he has to keep them up first. And um, the squad is crumbling a little bit, but it, the early signs, I would say, are positive. Like, I watched them against Leicester in his opening match, and they were way better than Leicester. So the, I think that's a good sign. Uh, no, I, I definitely like the Marsh appointment a lot as well. I think people were, like, um, talking pretty down on Marsh after his time at Leipzig and and, and I, I can I can understand why because the Leipzig squad is clearly very talented but I think um the Marsh appointment he loves that intensity and energy and that's why Leeds works really well because Bielsa has that similar kind of idea for for, for, for different reasons um but like guys like Dan James for example like that's a player that Marsh is probably gonna like um because he kind of uh runs his heart out and he has that speed um to be able to kind of like get involved in in terms of the way they try to but you can get players who can do that and also offer anything on the ball like i again dan james is one of the best players out of possession um that that you can have but he's a forward he needs to offer more than that and yeah like in terms of in terms of marsh yeah, in terms of Marsh, yeah. uh, I do feel like Marsh is a good appointment anyways. Like, the, I think if you look at it from a template perspective, I don't know if he's as good as Ralph Hasenhutl, but if you, look at, uh, if you look at Ralph Southampton, like, that's one of the teams, in my opinion, that's most overperforming on squad quality in the Premier League right now. That's true. And if you look at that from the perspective of a Champions League team, or Champions League, championship team that you need to get playing at Premier League level, or a low-end team fighting relegation that you want to punch above their weight, uh, the Southampton method right now is is one of the best methods that, in my opinion, you can take uh, to do that, that that is a proven template. And if Marsh can get them playing well in that system, um, players like Dan James will be useful, and they're likely to be comfortably mid-table next season as long as they can stay up now. Yeah, I, I guess I don't disagree that... Um, uh, you know that they've overpaid or, or or whatever. Like like you were talking about Rodrigo as well. Rodrigo was a, I I was hoping that he would come in and and, and be like a pretty successful transfer because I kind of like um uh Rodrigo as a player. Uh, but you're right. They definitely spent quite a bit of money, and a lot of that's probably down to to the Bielsa recruitment. So I think we'll see how that changes now. Um, under Marsh and stuff going forward, maybe the uh kind of recruitment it, it, less so driven by the the manager and more so um you know done by the Red Bull um, system. Right. What the what system? Sorry. Red Bull system. Oh no. Okay. I'm they're signing about... Brendan Aronson. Uh, yeah. ASAP. No, yeah, yeah, no. Or or they're just going to take all the Americans. They're going to grab Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic from Chelsea and all that stuff and, and, and reinvent the USMT, MNT um, for Jesse Marsh. But no, anyways, uh, I want to move on and briefly talk a little bit about Brentford as well because um, we when, when, when discussing this, we did see that they are also um, in a little bit – I don't know. I mean, I think they're okay, but they have the, – the reason being that they only have one point up on Leeds um, – and they're, uh, you know, they have uh, 30 games played as well. Um, Brentford was an interesting point of topic. I think they've been a little unlucky with some injuries as well. Uh, but they've uh, started pretty well. And since then, it hasn't been the greatest. But at least, you know, I think they stylistically are set up uh, to, to survive relegation um, with the way that they uh, play. Uh, Aaron, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more um, on that and your thoughts of whether you think they're going to stay up or how, how dangerous um, of a position do you think they're in? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll start by saying 30 games, 30 points for a promoted team is a pretty good campaign. Like, uh, I think they've recruited well for the most part. Um, there's been way too much discourse about Brentford in the analytics community, so I won't exhaust it more. But they, they've recruited well. Um, their style of play works. It's it's not that different to, to what Ralph Hasenhutl is doing at Southampton. Um, it's a little bit more I- immediate, direct into the striker. Um, and, and then they look to flick balls in behind, basically skipping build-up a lot. 19th in the league for pass completion with, a, I think, about 70% ahead of only Burnley. Um, and that, and that's the style they play. They've recruited well for it, and they've executed a campaign that probably keeps them up. That being said, it looks like even then, even when promoted teams have good seasons, sometimes they fall under the threat of being relegated. And I think, like like you said, Mike, probably one win, maybe two in their in their last eight, um, will will do it for them. And I think their fixtures looked okay to me. Like it's not uh, no, I think that's what we were discussing though. No, like Chelsea, West Ham, Tottenham, Man U, and then they yeah, have Everton true. and Leeds as their last two. Which what we were talking about. Well, they have Watford as well, April sixteenth, yeah, which isn't. I, I forgot the that end, actually. But. I forgot that their easy fixtures are at the end. So I mean, I think if they don't get that result against Watford, or uh, and then they probably have to steal points against Chelsea, West Ham. Spurs United or Southampton. They well, need, that, that's what like we're talking they, about. The Everton and Leeds stuff like could be problematic, particularly based on the yeah. position those clubs are in. Because if, well, so if the Everton is, if is they, like a do or die as well, like you don't know. Like Everton's a good team at least uh, squad wise relative to other the other teams in their position. Yeah, so I mean, two wins is different to you know if they don't win two in those six, it's one win and then one cup final, right? So it's. It, it could get interesting for them, but I think I, I, I do think it's not like a particularly uh, topical conversation of like what they've done wrong to be in this position or like how they need to change it. They just need to keep doing what they're doing and hope that it's enough to stay up really and then they can add more talent in the summer with their with the same recruitment system. Right. Alex, any closing thoughts? I, I, I know you want to mention something. Come on <laughs> no, um, I, I think I think they're going to stay up, but I do think the the fixture list is going to be tough for them. Um, of those six teams that we've discussed, I think they're the best placed to, to get a result against one of the big sides in the run-in, which is helpful for them because they have a lot of those <laughs> sides coming up. But yeah. but yeah, I think I think they've just about made it safe. They had a really good start to the season. I think kind of fell apart a bit at, at some point. Tony's back now, though. Um, I think I think they'll pull it over the line. They're the team I'm probably yeah alongside Leeds. I'm most comfortable with. Most confident won't get dragged into this. So into the the last. Yeah, I mean, I know we got to wrap up soon, but. Really, like, really quickly, I would just say, like, in terms of their early season run, that game against Arsenal was, like, the template Brentford game, right? Just, and, and I didn't realize this at the time because it was one of my first times watching them at this level, but, I mean, it was the first time they played at this level. But they, they like, just long balls into the striker, lots of flick-ons, completely, like, bypassing Arsenal's midfield. Uh, yeah, just destroying quickly, a terrible team. Yeah, I know. Making them... <laughs> making them really struggle and build up that's that's what they look to do um and yeah they, they did it perfectly and i think over time these teams that come up to the premier league it's a little bit similar with bielsa um they're become their their studies are slowly added on on how to play them and then the big teams slowly get their dominance back over these tactical setups but their ability to cause that ups those upsets early on i think was what really underpinned them 
yeah. um, them having a good season. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping they stay up at, at, at the least for how much of a beautiful, beautiful man Thomas Frank is. So, yeah. And I think with that, we're going to wrap up uh, this episode. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, thank you, Alex and Aaron, obviously, uh, for, 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 you know, being alongside me uh, in, in talking about the relegation battle so far. Please be sure to follow us at Football Per 90 on all of our socials. Um, you can find us on Twitter probably is the best place to, um, to, to keep up with all of the kind of new episodes we're going to be coming out with. Um, but yeah, I think that's it for today. Thanks so much once again. Have a good one, guys. Bye.